This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hello, this episode of the podcast is sponsored by LEP Premium. I'm sponsoring my own content today. Sign up to LEP Premium today to get access to over 70 episodes of either audio or video content, including lessons on grammar, vocabulary and pronunciation from me to you. And it's, uh, it's either available in the Luke's English podcast app or available online. And it includes downloadable PDFs with tests and pronunciation drills. New content arrives every month, and it costs about the same as a price of coffee once a month. You can check out all the details, and you can sign up by going to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, everyone. This is an episode of the Rick Thompson Report on Luke's English Podcast. This is where I talk to my dad about politics, especially Brexit. And here is the latest update since the last episode in November. So here's a quick summary to help you keep up during the conversation. It'll only take a minute or two. It's important to understand the overall context when listening to this so that you don't get lost and so that you can also notice language more easily. So since the last episode in November, the Tories, the Conservatives, won their election majority in December and pushed through Boris Johnson's withdrawal agreement because all of the MPs, all of their MPs voted for it. And because they've got the majority, that's how they pushed it through. Then the UK officially left the EU on the 30th of January this year. That's 2020. For any aliens listening to this, the year 2020 in Earth years. But nothing really changed because we're now in the transition period in which everything stays the same for a year. And the UK and the EU have to bash out a new agreement for things like trade and regulations and stuff, a process that usually takes years. So did the Tories get Brexit done like they promised, or is there a lot more of this story yet to come? Also, what has this Conservative majority led by Boris Johnson been doing since coming to power? What about the removal of certain journalists from their lobby briefing, their wish to replace the judiciary, the resignation of Chancellor Sajid Javid because 10 Downing Street asked him to fire his team of civil servants? Now, if none of this makes any sense to you, then listen on because you're going to hear a chat with my dad who's been following this story very carefully, as you've heard in previous episodes of the Rick Thompson Report. So basically, what is the government up to? Who is really pulling the strings of power at the moment? And what are they seeking to do? How could Brexit actually be a power grab by a party intent on exerting more executive control on the democratic framework? Well, listen on to find out more. This is the Rick Thompson Report with Rick Thompson. 
Hello, Dad. Welcome back to the podcast. How are you today? Hello, Luke. It's nice to hear from you. Very nice to hear from you too. How is the weather? Oh, the weather report. Well, um, it's actually rather nice at the moment, but we're in between two storms. I can't remember what they're called. The first one was called Storm Chiara. Yeah. That came ripping through last weekend and caused a lot of trees down and one thing and another, mainly, of course, in the West, uh, where they, they get hit by these things coming across from the Atlantic. And then um, tomorrow we're going to get uh, Storm Dennis. Um, Is it Dennis? So it's, yeah. So it's this that time of year when these these depressions come rolling in across the Atlantic and sometimes they bring fierce storms. Anyway, we're in between at the moment and it's a nice sunny day uh, and uh, the spring flowers are all out. We haven't had any snow. Um, It's a a winter without winter again, really. Climate change. We're just not really getting fierce winters as we used to. Yep. Okay, then. All right, Dad, last time we spoke on this podcast about uh, Rick Thompson report type stuff was in episode 626. And uh, that was before the general election that happened. So we were talking about what was what was going on. So let's have a little update then. What has happened? Uh, what happened in the election? What's been happening since then? What about the election? A lot result? has happened since then. Gosh, an awful lot's happened. Mm. So um, you know, Boris Johnson had become the new prime minister uh, after Theresa May resigned. He uh, called an election because uh, he didn't have majority in in Parliament and. Uh, bit of a gamble and much to everyone's surprise mm. he won a huge majority 80 seat majority the biggest majority since 1987 wow and th- and the reason was it was the brexit election mm-hmm. and all the places in the north of the country that had voted to leave the eu were yeah. persuaded by this rather clever slogan mm-hmm. we'll get brexit done and everyone was so fed up with it after, after more than three years, and they'd voted to leave that mm. they they switched their allegiance. So a lot of these northern places had always been Labour, yeah, particularly where they had big industries and they had trade unions, and they'd they'd never voted Conservative, right? Uh, so it was a bit of a surprise. They called that area the Red Wall, red being Labour's colour. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Red Wall was one that Conservatives could never penetrate. Yeah. But they did this time. Labour lost 61 seats. The Red Wall goes across the sort of the Midlands and the north of England, yes, is that right? Yes, that's right. right. Including yeah, up to the northeast, up to Newcastle and, and up in the northeast. Those sort of industrial cities that mm. uh, traditionally would vote Labour, the Red Wall. And the Tories couldn't break the Red Wall. They couldn't get Never beyond it. They did before, but they did this time. Right. So they, they finished up with the Conservatives had out of the House of Commons, which has 650 seats, the, the conserva- Conservatives, I can say that word, uh, <laughs> let's say the Tories, yeah. won 365 and Labour only had 202. The Scottish National Party are the third biggest party. They mm. did really well in Scotland uh, with 48 seats. The Liberal Democrats, the middle of the roaders in the rest of the country, did badly. Mm. They only have 11 seats. So Tories are... Uh, in a position where they can basically do what they like and um, they are doing. So the first thing that, that Johnson did was pass the uh, EU withdrawal uh, agreement so that we would leave on the 31st of January. So wait, I mean, this is the, the thing that Theresa May spent, what, two years and three years trying to do? Uh, yes, he that's does right. It like that? I mean, this is obviously like that. because of the election <laughs> result, but um, the difference being because he's got many more loyal Tories sitting in the House of Commons that the, the the withdrawal agreement could be voted through as a matter of course, right? Yes, there was one major difference between Theresa May's 
version of the withdrawal agreement and Boris Johnson's. Mm -hmm. And that was all to do with Ireland and Northern Ireland. Okay. That the border between the Republic of Ireland and Northern Ireland is the only border between Mm. the UK and the EU. Mm -hmm. And everyone uh, agreed that it should remain open. Right. For various reasons, not least because I think if they had... Uh, had a border there with border checks and customs controls they it would have been a target for the ira they they would have made a comeback yeah because of course they're dedicated to united ireland so everyone said no no we're not gonna have a border but the problem was they didn't know how to have some kind of checks between the single market and country outside it in the end boris johnson dumped the uh, loyalist protestant party in northern ireland and said there would be additional checks between Northern Ireland and the UK, and the Northern Ireland would actually stay in the customs union. So its status oh. within the UK will be a little different. So this is a, this is kind of like Ireland is like just a little bit more uh, re, uh, united, and the border then is between Northern Ireland and mainland Britain. Sort uh, of. So you the, can see- the, 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 we're still waiting for the details. Everyone says, oh, it would be easy, but I don't think it will be. Mm. So th- that's going to be part of the negotiation that's now started. Right. So we left the EU on the 31st of January. What? Some of the Brexiteers had a party at Westminster. Yeah. Uh, there were lights, uh, red, white and blue lights shone on the uh, front of government buildings in in london and a countdown clock was projected onto downing number 10 downing street and meanwhile uh, half the country was drowning their sorrows and um feeling really really bad because the this uh, referendum split the country down the middle and it hasn't changed we know half the country which is we weren't leaving and, and are very depressed about it yeah I mean, it's hard to kind of summarise uh, that feeling because it's, you know, when you say to someone, oh, yeah, the, the UK is leaving the EU, this kind of uh, legal um, kind of trade block or whatever. And, you, you know, it might not be quite so obvious why that is a depressing thought. It's not just the economics. There's the, the whole kind of cultural aspect to that, too, which and and the fact that kind of the country we feel is, is sort of, kind of going in the wrong direction and it could be very damaging and we don't know why it's happening and maybe people have got ulterior motives for uh, pushing all this stuff through. All those things are true. People say that those who are pushing, were pushing for Brexit, mm. did have ulterior motives. A lot, of, a lot of people were going to apparently make some money out of it because they were betting against the pound and one reason thing in a reason or another but basically it's a rise of nationalism a lot of these people were just nationalists basically waving the flag and saying we're a great country it's a little bit like a mini trump situation mm-hmm. and um the the eu in my opinion is the one of the greatest triumphs ever in europe for 50 years uh, we haven't had to fight each other mm-hmm. and throughout entire history Big European nations have been at war with each other. Yeah. Us and France and Spain and Italy and, of course, Germany. Yeah. And the EU cemented everybody together. It's been the most successful trading bloc ever. It's the biggest uh, single market in in the world with uh, over 500 million people. And it has had stability, security, prosperity for everybody. And why are we leaving? It's very difficult to explain 
to people in mainland Europe who say, well, well, why do people vote to leave? It's extremely difficult to explain. Uh, they were just told that we would take back control and that Brussels was an unelected dictatorship and all sorts of things that are simply not true. So Brexit Day then, uh, the actual day was the 30th of January. People were celebrating sort of the next day or midnight. So did the Tories get Brexit done? So is that it then? Is it done now? Uh, No, in my view, um, this was another um, misleading slogan. We'll get Brexit done. They have not got Brexit done at all. We are we are le- going into a transition period. This was negotiated by Theresa May and the EU earlier, where in order to sort out all the many, many things that have to be sorted out, after we have technically left the EU, nothing changes for the best part of a year until the end of this year. So freedom of movement will continue. We will continue to pay into the budget. Everything will remain the same until... The 31st of December, when allegedly our withdrawal agreement will be supplemented by the future relationship, which again will require legal endorsement. What will our future relationship be with the other 27 countries of the EU? And there are many, many outstanding issues, which as far as I can see, cannot be resolved in time. So there's apparently something like there's a date in June which is the deadline for getting the extension to the um, transition period. Uh, and then after that, yeah, at the end of the year... Um, yes, you're quite of- right. Un- un- under, the, under the agreement, the, um, if the British government want to extend that transition period, they have to do it by June. But Boris Johnson has said repeatedly that uh, he won't extend it. So right. we will see. You can't really believe anything he says because uh, he did say die in a ditch at one one point rather than extend it, but then did extend it. Yes, and lots of other things. And then, so the things that need to be agreed here are all the details of our future relationship with the EU. And since the EU most basically makes up about half of our trade in either direction... I think we buy more from them than we sell to them slightly. Yeah, just but, a bit more than half. But uh, it's about 50% of all of our stuff is either sold or bought in the EU. So that's like 50% of everything, including medicine and all the other things that you need. So all of that has to be, agree- you know, all the, the, the details of a trade agreement have to be put in place. And we're talking about things like tariffs um, and border controls, services, agreements over services, like, for example, airline companies sharing their aviation standards, uh, security services and things, and trade deals and all that stuff that needs to be agreed. Look at it from, from the point of view of the EU. They've created a single market which is seamless, which means that, you know, trucks can shoot all over Europe without having to stop it any any borders and there's no tariffs on anything between these these uh, member states but boris johnson and his cabinet have said they we will not be in the single market and we will not be part of the customs union which is linked to that and so we, it seems to me uh, impossible to resolve that if we're not in the single market then we will not be able to have free movement of capital goods services and people And uh, therefore, there will have to be checks, there will have to be lots of paperwork, and there may be long queues at the border, and Mm -hmm. uh, who knows. But how they're going to resolve it, 
no one knows um but it's not just trade there's a whole number of other issues like fishing fishing doesn't account for a huge amount of uh, proportion of the british economy i mean it's uh it's important culturally and it's important for fishing communities Uh, and we are a maritime nation fishing is kind of part of our history but it only accounts for between one and two percent of our uh, our economy nonetheless it's an important issue all the fishing areas voted to leave the eu because they all hate the common fisheries policy which they think imposes things on them and it allows foreign boats to come and fish in our waters and it tells them how big the mesh on their nets has to be and they they just want to be left alone to fish well the the what will replace the common fisheries policy in british waters is completely unclear we don't know how that they would define british waters they don't know whether they would get access to european ports so we, because most of the fish that british boats catch actually is sold at european ports so are we talking about potential skirmishes between boats of fishermen armed with hooks many years ago iceland declared a 200 mile limit for fishing yeah and um since uh, a lot of british trawlers fish in icelandic waters they kept on going there and they started being physically harassed and the royal navy sent some ships and Whoa. it be- became called the cod war oh my and god the cod war was uh, our trawlers being accompanied by a destroyer or a frigate and there were clashes we you know bbc news filmed them happening where the 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 destroyer would go between two of these boats and smash into the side of the Icelandic boat that was trying to interfere with the Brits. I mean, absolutely ridiculous. It was almost like a dark comedy. And, of course, in the end, all this expensive posturing meant that, in the end, the British had to accept that the Icelanders had the right to exclude them. I think a deal was struck in the end. Yeah. Uh, which allowed some access. Well, you never know what's going to happen. Who knows? We might be having battles with French fishing boats in the Channel. We just don't know. Oh, There's a that... lot of issues, lots and lots of issues that are unresolved. Just like the good old days, eh, Dad? Back like in the 17th century when we were at war with France. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the golden days. Um, oh, God. So Now, I wanted to tell you something else. Not only are we now entering this negotiating period, which is... Um, probably not enough time to get anything agreed. The way that uh, Boris Johnson is now behaving is really quite extraordinary. He was very uh, annoyed that Parliament wouldn't back his withdrawal agreement. Wait, I thought they did back it. uh, it, They did in the end. This was before he'd got his big majority. Right, I see. And he sent uh, some of his... uh, Brexity members up to see the Queen up in... Henchmen? Did he say henchmen? Yes, could be be henchmen, uh, members of the Privy Council, senior people, uh, trotted off to see the Queen to suspend Parliament. You may remember this. and um, talk about that one. And they they told told her that this was routine and uh, it was perfectly normal and they were just doing it because they needed to prepare the Queen's speech, which laid out legislation. Well... This was uh, clearly uh, designed to make sure that Parliament couldn't stop us leaving the EU. Mm-hmm. 
and it was challenged in the courts and the courts decided that it had been an illegal act to tell the Queen that this was normal, which it wasn't, and they'd tell them that it was for this reason when it wasn't, uh, and they annulled the, this suspension of Parliament, mm-hmm. and so the MPs all came back again. So the, the issue here is that Number 10 Downing Street is starting to behave like a president's office, a bit like the Oval Office in America, mm. where the president has a lot of executive powers. Well, in this country, we're a parliamentary democracy backed by an independent judiciary. Mm-hmm. So parliament makes laws and the judges enact those laws. And the administration of the, of the nation has to operate within those laws. So that's pretty well a definition of a parliamentary democracy. So first of all, he tries to prevent parliament having a say in this crucial thing. Then we now have the media being uh, selectively briefed. So mm-hmm. there used to be a general lobby briefing of journalists in the Palace of Westminster. That means? And well, you have accredited journalists, lots of them from The Times and from the BBC and from everybody else who yeah. have passes to get into Westminster. And they are briefed by uh, press officers and sometimes ministers themselves in lobby briefings. The lobby is basically a, a hall where everybody can mingle. Yeah. And um, so suddenly the lobby briefings are going to take place at number 10 Downing Street. Mm which is rather curious. Uh, and the first two lobby briefings, they only invited the people from friendly newspapers. Ah, so that, so the newspapers that were critical of them, they didn't invite them? Hmm. Well, it's the, when they discovered there was, a lobby brief, there was a briefing coming up, they all went off there and they were lined up against the wall inside Downing Street and told you're not invited and invited to leave. Fortunately, all the other journalists left in protest. Yeah. So okay. um, yes. they're not going to have that. Yeah. But it's an indication of how they're, they're now trying to make number 10 the, the seat of government in all ways. And the man behind it is Boris Johnson's chief advisor and strategist, who's called Dominic Cummings. Dominic Cummings, he's told all the civil servants that they will be fined if they talk to journalists or sacked. Mm-hmm. And obviously he is thought to be pulling the strings of government. Is Boris Johnson his puppet? We're not entirely sure. But this, it seems to me, to be a very dangerous man. And the latest move has just happened. You know about the reshuffle? I, I had seen that there had been a cabinet reshuffle. What is yes, that? Uh, what is with, that? His big, with his big majority, Boris Johnson had got uh, you know a, a number of ministers and they sit around the table and they are called the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the closest minister of all to him is the chancellor of the exchequer who's in charge of the money and he lives at number 11 downing street Mm -hmm. and they're very close yeah so the chancellor was preparing a budget for four weeks time his first budget which was going to be interesting because uh we know that the government is going to throw money at the north of england in order to um, convince all the people who voted conservative at the election that it was a good idea Mm mm-hmm so he reshuffled it, uh, chopped some of those ministers, promoted people he, th- he thinks are very Brexity and on side. 
And the Chancellor apparently went in to see him and he said, you're doing a fantastic job. This is Boris Johnson doing a very absolutely fabulous job. You're doing a fantastic job. Yeah. And everything was fine until Johnson said, uh, but you you have to sack all your advisors, your team of uh, advisors. Now, in a job like Chancellor of the Exchequer, you have quite a lot of expert advisors. And why? It seems that uh, he wanted to have a combined team of advisors. So number 10's advisors and number 11's advisors would be one team, and actually it would be the number 10 team. So the Chancellor's wow. team of advisors are all going to be sacked. Wait, so it's a huge takeover of, of yeah. uh, number 11. So number Something 10, like just, 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 it was like some little coup of number 11. They just did a huge grab, a power Incredible. grab. Anyway, so the Chancellor, Sajid Javid, said, I resign. I'm not having that. And uh, he, it's a fantastic job. And he walked away from being the Chancellor of the Exchequer because he said it's unacceptable, entirely unacceptable. Wow. The person who's behind this must be Dominic Cummings who is the uh, chief advisor to uh, to uh, Boris Johnson and has enormous influence. Essentially what Dominic Cummings then is trying to do is basically try and grab as much power as possible, it seems. Well, so it seems. He's trying to centralise power with himself and Boris Johnson and Parliament and the courts are just getting in the way and so they're trying to avoid them. So I talk about the courts. In this reshuffle, the yeah. Attorney General was also sacked. The Attorney General... Uh, Attorney General is a senior lawyer. He is the, uh, among other things, he advises the government on law. Okay. So they have to make sure that whatever they're doing is legal, that uh, that acts of parliament comply with existing mm-hmm, law. Mm-hmm. You have to be a real expert in these things. Yeah. The Attorney General had warned them that some of the things they were doing uh, the last few months were not legally sustainable which didn't go down too well so he's been sacked and in his place has come somebody called suella braverman okay she is now the attorney general she is a youngish lawyer very very in in favor of brexit she was in fact chair of the little subgroup of the conservatives the erg which was pushing brexit and she has said in the past that she wants to take back control from an interfering judiciary. How oh, do you right. Like that? So, so, so their next target then is our judicial system. Yeah, they're, they're, they're now targeting the civil service. They're targeting the media. They're targeting the courts and they're targeting parliament. So, I mean, let's be absolutely incredible. Let's be honest about this. We know there, you know, there are certain types of government and the sort of naughty governments, you know, I'm talking about the sort of autocratic ones, do this kind of thing. It's just routine stuff, right? We need to control the media. We need to try and control the legislature. We need to try and um, remove any obstacles. Well, I don't know whether it's happened here. Obviously, everybody's tried to control the media. They do everywhere. And, uh, you know, the BBC has always been under attack for being biased and inefficient at one thing or another. And sure enough, it is again. But what's different is the fact that they're trying to sideline Parliament and are lining themselves up to appoint the kind of judges that will be political. It's unbelievable. We've always had a non-political judiciary. It's unbelievably ironic, isn't it, that the whole thing has been done in the name of democracy. And then, I mean, look, look at look at the anti-democratic steps being taken. Yes, absolutely. And as I say, my suspicion is that Dominic Cummings is really running the country now. Yeah. And uh, he is certainly not elected. He's horrible. 
He is horrible. See, I mean, people could look up his picture if they, they're interested. Dominic Cummings. Not see that he, the... he dresses badly. Um, he, he dresses, he likes to be outrageous. He cultivates the idea that he's a really wacky, brilliant guy. He dresses, wacky but brilliant. He dresses like he's trying to be a hipster, but it's like hipster from 2003. It's not just the way he looks. It's the way he handles himself, the way he treats other people. You can well, the see it in so the way rude to he, he's so scathing to everybody. He doesn't do he's media just arrogant. He doesn't do interviews, but people sometimes sort of like follow him down the street and ask him questions. And he's just universally rude and arrogant and weird as well. Yes, yes, completely disrespectful. Cryptic. He shows contempt for everybody. He gives these weird cryptic res- responses. Which yes, are he, rude and a bit disturbing. He's cultivating the idea that he's a genius and uh, he's on a, working on a different level Ugh. from you poor mortals. Ugh. It's really weird. Anyway, so there you go, folks. Uh, we've had a very interesting <laughs> couple of months uh, where uh, you know that very much I'm, I'm hostile to Boris Johnson. Anyone who's listened to the Rick Thompson report before will know that I don't trust him at all. I think he's self-serving and he's not someone who's good for the country. So you'll just have to accept that that's my view. But generally speaking, uh, the commentators are all aghast and the latest twist where the Chancellor of the Exchequer resigned rather than give up his influence to number 10 is the last last one. The, this thing about the relationship between the Prime Minister and the Chancellor of the Exchequer is very interesting. The, basically, the Prime Minister always wants to spend money to get things done and all the other ministers want to. Um, the the uh, Defence Minister, incidentally, went on the record saying that we needed some really serious investment in modernising our armed forces, which is hugely expensive. Mm. And uh, Dominic Cummings went, went on the record saying they all waste, waste loads of money and uh, he can go and jump in the sea or something. Mm-hmm. Well, the cabinet is always wanting to get money, to spend money to do things. The role of the Chancellor of the Exchequer is to basically say we need to have fiscal responsibility we we can't spend money we haven't got and if you start uh, racking up a very big national debt then the value of the pound starts to slide and and you get into a, a you know a very difficult situation like some countries have done in the past like italy so the the chancellor has got to balance the spending with the borrowing and tax raising and the conservatives always uh, say they're the the low-tax party. So they're about to spend an awful lot of money, and I suppose the Chancellor may well have said, this is the last straw, I'm not going to sack all my aides, but maybe he was thinking, I don't know how the hell we're going to pay for all these things (laughs) without raising taxes. Let me just give you a few ideas. They've just decided they will go ahead with uh, a high-speed rail link between London and Birmingham and then on towards Manchester and Leeds. We are one of the only developed countries in Europe that doesn't have high-speed rail. I I, I feel like Savid... I always get his name wrong. Uh, it is uh, Sajid. Sajid David. Da- David. Yes. Um, it, like him resigning feels like what happens when uh, reality and fantasy collide with each other. <laughs> he is he is a, a casualty 
of of reality s- smashing into uh, the government at this point, where well, you can imagine him going, "Well, a reality well, oh, wall, as oh they say. God, right? Well, I'm out because uh, this is untenable. <laughs> well, it's possible, isn't it? This it's is possible. Untenable, anyway, untenable. Thing. He's been replaced instantly by a 39 year old, yeah, called Rishi Sunak. Okay, who again, hardly anybody had heard of, and I imagine uh, he'll do whatever Boris tells him to do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> So the so the cost of this high speed rail link is yeah. is now put at uh, one hundred and six billion pounds. Let's say one hundred and twenty billion euros, or if you like, one hundred and twenty thousand million euros. Mm. Um, so there's just one little bit of expenditure. What? Um, and and uh, they're also uh, promising investment in uh, rail lines in the north and buses buses and cycle lanes they've said we're going to spend 500 million on making bus routes and cycle routes uh, much better now this is hilarious because the um the conservatives have been in power for 10 years and they have pursued an, uh, an austerity program relentlessly mm-hmm. which is cutting public expenditure to balance the budget uh, and uh, the, one of the impacts has been on local authorities. So the, for example, Manchester uh, local authority or the county councils or Greater London Council, they've all had their budgets cut, cut, cut and cut. And the impacts have been profound. So wait. Uh, so, so now they're saying, oh, we're going to have more bus routes. Well, the, the analysis shows that under the cut cuts, um, this would go only 10% of the way to putting back the bus routes that were cut over the last 10 years. Right, right. It's a fantastic stuff. Yeah. And, and so it, it's it's a complete it's, – it's weird, isn't it? It's like the Tories campaigning uh, to say, we're going to do this and we're going to do that in direct opposition to – themselves they're the yes, ones who've been the pursuing it they're the ones who've pursued certain programs in the last 10 years and now they're banging on about what well, we're gonna do we're gonna spend money because these communities have been deprived for so long it's like yeah by you the big one is the health service right the big one right because an aging population like everybody else has got there's more and more demand on the health service more drugs are available more clever technologies available so uh, you know running the health service gets more expensive uh, mainly because there's more and more people using its services but um at the end of uh, tony blair and gordon brown's tenure they had managed to get to the point where the health service was meeting all its targets yeah there were lots of targets like ambulance response time how long you have to wait in an emergency department how long you have to wait to get an appointment with your general practitioner how long you have to wait to get a a cancer operation all Mm. sorts of targets Mm. they were meeting them all 10 years on uh, they are not meeting any of these targets and some of them are spectacularly broken so that if you go to hospital you're very likely have to wait more than four hours and you probably you know wait longer than that to be seen yeah. The health service is in crisis. Everybody admits it, and it's cro- groaning in all sorts of other areas as well, like mental health uh, provision uh, and other special services. So uh, during the election campaign, they said, we're going to recruit 20,000 more nurses. We're going to recruit lots more doctors. We're going to build build 20 hospitals. Do you mm. like that one? We're You're going right. to build 20 hospitals. Well, actual fact... Um, 
apart from the fact they can't afford it, there, there is no prospect of them building 20 yeah. hospitals. And the number of nurses and doctors is falling because those who came in from Spain, France and Germany are either going home or the recruitment has fallen away. Uh, this uh, government I mean, it's, is... just, it's just completely ridiculous things to say, but they're still saying. This government is a bit like uh, Boris Johnson's brain. So, like, one day he's going, so we're going to um, invest in uh, hospitals, uh, uh, 20 hospitals, 20, we'd build 20 hospitals, hospitals everywhere. And the next day he's like, um, so hospitals, no, trains, build trains. <laughs> it's a very, very good impersonation for us, Johnson, Luke. You should use that on stage. I should. <laughs> so we're going to have trains, uh, tr- hospitals on trains is the next Buses. one. Buses. Buses on hospitals, on, uh, on, um, let me just make my hair messy. And, uh, you know, Britain is a, it's a great nation. Yeah. Yes, that's the thing. We're a great nation. We don't need anybody else. So, uh, so there we are. The lots happened and I'm rather worried that, um, you know, we're seeing an erosion of our traditional democratic checks and balances by a right-wing prime minister who seems to be kind of slightly drunk on the fact that he's got an 80-seat majority and he can do whatever he wants. Right. Okay, so just the usual then, really. It's just the usual. I'm having a whinge. I'm having a complain about British politics, as I always do. But uh, there you go. I suppose it could be worse. It could be worse, couldn't it? It could be worse. I mean... uh... Can we do just two minutes on what's been going on in the Labour Party? Can we do that? Just yes, two, we can do two minutes on that. While, while all this is going on, Labour, of course, uh, are trying to elect a new leader. Jeremy Corbyn, having lost two elections in a row and having lost the last one extremely badly, they actually lost, uh, I made a note here, 61 seats. I think he, he lost it quite well. Uh, <laughs> 61 seats is quite good. Anyway, <laughs> yes. sorry. So they they have a rather tortuous process of uh, electing a new leader, and it, this is not going to go on until April the 4th, when they'll finally declare who has been elected by the members of the Labour Party. But they, you know, the candidates have to go through several hurdles first to get to, to onto the ballot paper. So Labour are just not there at the moment, and the opposition is very muted, which is another reason why um, it's worrying that Boris Johnson is doing things that I think are unconstitutional. After April the 4th, we'll be well into negotiating the future relationship with the EU. So I sincerely hope that whoever is the Labour leader will be able to um, scrutinise that and uh, expose falsehoods. Uh, what will happen? I don't know. We, we, we're not due to have an election for five years, and with a majority like that, we won't, we won't have one. Mm. So it'll be an election in five years' time. Will this government have blown a fuse? Will people realise realize they were let down? Mm-hmm. False promises? Will all the red wall voters who voted Conservative revert to voting Labour? We don't know. God knows. Um, and now the sport uh, with, Alan pa- <laughs> with Alan Partridge. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, there hasn't been much sport in the last few days apart from England's cricketers playing a, a one-day bash game in South Africa. Yeah. They've had a little little rest for a few days, uh, but they come back at the weekend with Liverpool 
I think, 22 points clear at the top of the Premiership. And they got like 71 to to Man City's 53. Well, I, I feel as though it, it. I seem to remember they got to 22 points ahead. But yeah. anyway, uh, an amazing team. I mean, possibly the most amazing team of modern times Liverpool they just keep on winning it's incredible and, uh, isn't it yeah it's amazing but they, they play good football though so it's it's nice yeah, to watch brilliant football and it's still that great Liverpool tradition of attack attack yeah uh, and they certainly do so okay. uh, so we'll see how if they continue this amazing run I think they've they've won 21 in a row or something uh, in the premiership something like that quite a bit beyond belief really and uh, yes, that's going to be good. We like the sport. Yeah. All right, Dad. Well, thank you very much for giving us another report there. Okay. I hope it's not too downbeat. Uh, we'll have to wait and see what happens. We will. We don't we know. Will. Maybe we alien, don't know. aliens will land or something. <laughs> well, that would be a good talking point. It would be. All right. Maybe okay. they have already. Who knows? Maybe they already have. Maybe. Maybe. Um, one of them is uh, currently... Dominic Cummings. You know, I wonder why does Boris Johnson scratch the top of his head so much? It's like, um, it's my, image. my mask is uh, slipping, so uh, it's just going to hold on. If the, muss his hair. If the mask slips off, then alien, oh no. The, <laughs> Take anyway. me to your leader. <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> Imagine that. Aliens arrive. Take me to your leader. Here he is, Boris Johnson. <laughs> That's your leader? That's your leader? <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Luke, nice to talk to you. You too. And um, I hope you have a, a, a nice weekend coming up. So that was another episode of the Rick Thompson Report. How long will this Brexit saga go on? I don't know. But thanks again to Dad for making another valuable contribution to the podcast again. So um, it's actually Valentine's Day today, the 14th of February. Um, as I record this. I hope you have some nice plans, or maybe if you're single uh, and you don't have a date, that you also just have some nice plans doing something else. Um, I've prepared, actually, a series of episodes with a Valentine's Day theme, but I have to publish the Rick Thompson Report as soon as I've recorded it because it's quite sort of time-sensitive content. I mean, stuff that's relevant to the moment although the Rick Thompson reports could also serve as a sort of historical document as well, I suppose, a history of Brexit. But I can't publish this series uh, with the Valentine's Day theme today. Can you hear that? Someone's, someone's like doing some drilling. They've been doing that on and off all day, and I've been trying to record, and they're doing it again. It's like, ah, take that, you Brexit... With your Brexit stuff. Ah, Some French guy with a cigarette in his mouth. Drilling on the rooftop. Ah, Your Brexit. Um, So I can't publish this series with the Valentine's Day theme today. So that will have to wait. So as I wrote on Twitter, just please stay romantic for another week if you can. I'll keep drilling, he says. Um, Okay. So next week, probably you'll get the first in a series about British comedy. And then there's a sort of Valentine's Day theme running through that. I hope that gives you a little teaser there of what's coming soon. Don't forget about LEP Premium. 
I recently published a big series about articles, which covers all the main errors that people make and exactly how we use articles and pronounce them properly too. So sign up to uh, LEP Premium at teacherluke.co.uk slash premium. But that's it for this episode. Have a lovely weekend or week or end. Uh, Have a lovely end uh, or whatever. And I will speak to you next time. But for now, goodbye. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.